Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining the Global Marketing Podcast. Today, we're going to start out with a really interesting story. We welcome Anne Kalman, who is Director of Creative Services at Kalman Worldwide. She got her start at the company at five years old by placing stamps on envelopes. You have to tell me, Anne, a little bit more about that story. It sounds so fun. Sure. My father, who is the founder of the company, uh, started it in 1963, and he was a one-man operation at the time. And in order to find new business, he would do massive mailings out to U.S. companies, 5,000 at a time. And so he would bring them home, and my two brothers and my two sisters and I would line up at the dining room table in age order, so I was the youngest. Um, my oldest sister, Meg, would collate the papers and hand them to my sister, Kathy. Kathy would fold them, put them in the envelope, hand the envelope to Jerry. My brother, Jerry, would seal the envelope, hand it to my brother, Tom. Tom would put the address label on, hand it to me. I would put the stamp on and put it in the box. And we would do 5,000 over the course of a week or two until we got the mailing done and out the door. And that's my start. And, and did you guys enjoy it? I have very vivid memories of it. And I just remember doing it. We weren't asked to do it. You know, we were told to do it. And yeah. I just remember standing there next to my brother, who, P.S., is my boss now. My brother <laughs> is now the president of the company. Uh, we're only 18 months apart. We've spent a lifetime together. And, and I do remember being fun. And my job was easy a stamp. You can't really mess that up. Uh, so yeah, I do remember it. I do remember enjoying it for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And so are you and your brother the only two that are still in the company? My other brother, Jerry, is in the company. When my dad was getting to be retirement age, he needed to figure out who was going to come up and take over the company. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, my brother Tom was uh, in the Air Force, and my brother Jerry was living in Oklahoma where his wife was working on getting a PhD. So he put it out to both of my brothers, did they want to join the company so that in five or so years my father could retire. Both my brothers joined the company. They worked together with my father and my brother Tom, with his Air Force background, was very interested in the aerospace and defense shows. My father at the time was the U.S. rep for any trade show in Munich, Germany. So regardless of industry, whether it was sporting goods or environmental equipment, my father would organize the U.S. presence there. So my brother Jerry kept my father's portfolio shows, and my brother Tom started outreach into the aerospace and defense shows. My dad ultimately did retire, and the two brothers um, are just different uh, than they realized that it would be in their best interest to amicably split, which they did. And my brother Jerry kept my father's portfolio. My brother Tom started with a new portfolio and at the time called me up and said, you know, I go to these shows and I bring home these books, these directories of books. If I put one in the mail, would you enter it into an Excel spreadsheet? And I was home with two babies. 
time. So when my kids would go down for a nap in the afternoon, I would pull out these books, I would type them into an Excel spreadsheet, I would email them back to him, and it was the adult version of the assembly line. Because then we would take that Excel spreadsheet, we would print labels, and we would do mailings with them. So it all comes full circle. Oh, my gosh. Now, now I just have to ask, did your dad ever consider asking you to take over? Well, I was home with babies at the time, you know, okay. you know, a, a two-year-old and a, and a newborn uh, baby on the way. So, no, I, I wasn't asked, but I would not have been able to do it at that time anyway. So, right. so the timing I, I just did ultimately time. join. But, you know, my dad passed last uh, May, just a few months ago, but he was so proud of the three of us, my two brothers and I just, and everywhere I went, I was in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia once, and I was there all by myself, which was fine. I'm quite often places by myself, but I had to track down our freight that we shipped to the show and I just couldn't find it anywhere. And I said to someone, do you know where the freight forwarding office is in this building? Yes, it's all the way down in the basement. I'm like, okay. So I take the elevator down and the doors open and it's dark down there in the basement of this big convention center. But I see a light, you know, in the corner office and, and I go to the office and I, I open the door and I say, hey, uh, I'm Ann Palman. I'm with the U.S. plane. I'm looking for my freight. And the guy looks at me and goes, are you Jerry's daughter? <laughs> I'm like, what? No. And I just was shocked. Everybody knew my dad. Everybody loved my dad. He was just a really nice guy who would just sit and talk and, and would help people. And, uh, yeah, it was really great. It was really just a, a, a surreal experience. Wow. So you've had a lifetime of experience in the industry and just must have connections all over the world. I do. I've been working with my brother Tom now for 21 years, and I have traveled extensively in that time. I think that, you know, the more I travel, the, the obviously the more I learn, the more I'm able to bring right. back and, and teach my staff and, and my people. And, and I learn myself, and you're right, the more connections I make. And and if people don't know my father, Jerry, they know my brother, Jerry, or my brother, Tom, uh, or myself. So yeah, <laughs> we are we're almost like a dynasty in the trade show industry. So just tell us a little bit more about what Common Worldwide does. We are a U.S. pavilion organizer. So we partner with show organizers around the world, mainly in the aerospace and defense industry, but not exclusively. Uh, we do maritime shows, security, health, medical, oil, gas, mining. We help American companies export overseas. We give them the opportunity to come to a region of the world where they want to do business, where they may never have been before. We are sellers of booth space for sure. We are builders of booths for sure, but we have programs that do matchmaking, that uh, bring delegations, buying delegations and decision makers to the U.S. Pavilion so these small companies can make an entree into the international export industry to obviously increase their revenue and increase their sales. So do you work in conjunction with a lot of the state export agencies and the federal governments that do all the matchmaking? We do. We work with the, um, the Department of Commerce. They're a big partner of Coleman Worldwide. They offer matchmaking services to us and the show organizers themselves. They are responsible for bringing buyers and buying delegations to these shows. So we work with matchmaking our U.S. exhibitors with the buying delegations that come in from those regions that are looking to find American products and services. So how would your services differ from what the Department of Commerce offers? Like what, when would somebody go to you versus 
going to them? We will actually organize the U.S. Pavilion. So we go out to the show organizer, we buy space. Our sales team takes that space. They divide it up into individual booths. And then we go out to U.S. industry and we sell the physical booth space. However, okay. we partner with the Department of Commerce that then brings in their, their specialists from the region and has the expertise in saying, okay, U.S. exhibitor, this local company is looking to buy this. You're selling this. Let's set up a meeting. So the show organizer would hire you to do the, the pavilion, and then the Department of Commerce is going to, so you're kind of in partnership with them. We are, not at every show, but at, at the majority right. of shows, yes, we do partner with them for their experience and expertise. Okay, so that's really interesting. So you're really the nuts and bolts and the person who gets it done behind all these shows that are going on international. Absolutely, absolutely. And we uh, buy the space, we divide the space, and then literally we go in and we build a city. That's my responsibility for shows like the Paris Air Show, where we have 4,000 square meters of space. We have 21 days to get in there and build booths and lounges, presentation areas, get our Wi-Fi set up. We build it from the floor up and we have uh, uh, programs like we talked about. So it's, it's not just space and build, but the programmatic aspect of it is important too. We build conference rooms where meetings can be held. We are bringing in buying delegations. We have forums where we get VIPs in to talk about what they need or what they're looking to buy. Um, sometimes the Department of Defense will come in and say, this, this is what we're looking for and this is how you can become a vendor on our list. And so we're constantly trying to educate our exhibitors, not just sell them space. It's once we have their contract for space, that's not really where it ends to us. That's really where our partnership begins. How do you find the companies that would be good exhibitors in your, excuse me, in your little city? <laughs> so our sales team has gotten really good at walking domestic shows. Those domestic shows, like there's a show, NBAA, it's the National Business Aviation Association. That's a prospect-rich environment for us. Our salespeople will walk these shows. They'll ask companies if they already export, if they do, what regions of the world they export to. And if they don't, they we see if it may be a good fit for them and we would sell them a very small space at a show so that they could try for the first time and see if they're successful and then hopefully get that success and parlay it into into a series of shows we have uh, probably two dozen shows in our aerospace and defense portfolio. We cover through the globe quite honestly we do shows in Asia and the Middle East and Africa um, and so uh, that's how we start, either through, through mailings or through walking shows. But I think walking shows is our biggest success story. So a salesperson walks up to, uh, you know, a, a domestic exhibitor and they say, hey, are you doing international work? And the exhibitor says, no. What are the reasons why they're usually not doing it? I think some of them just don't realize the huge opportunity that's out there. And that's part of our sales forces education of them to say, well, do you know that this product or service of yours is in high demand in this area and let's get you partnered up. We, we offer turnkey booths, uh, a nine square meter turnkey booth. So someone could come into the U S pavilion for the first time with 
a minimal investment. Uh, they're part of the program. They get the same access to the same buying delegations that the big boys get. They get the same access to any programs that we have, any forums that we have. And we try and say to them, give it a shot. And once you get in there, you'll see that it's really going to work in your benefit. And, and from that point, we either take them from the first show to the second or the third or the fourth, or they come back the next year bigger and the next year bigger. And, and we start small and we incubate them and, and bring them to the point where they're doing success, either more in success in that region or globally. And so you said it's minimal cost. So if somebody's listening to this and they've been thinking about doing international business, what would they have to budget for sticking a toe in a new market? Well, it's interesting because it's different all over the world. Some shows are expensive. It's very expensive to exhibit and build in Australia, for example. Hmm. Uh, and it's obviously a little bit more affordable in other places like um, Latin America. So, so some of our shows, uh, our turnkey build is, um, you know, a one thousand to twelve hundred dollars a square meter, and in other shows, it's upwards of two thousand, depending on the um, the region of the world we're talking about, or I wouldn't say upwards of 2000, but, but close to 2000. So it, uh, it depends, but you can buy a small space, nine square meter, which is in the U S a 10 by 10, it would be called. And we will, we create the U S pavilion turnkey, which is very red, white, and blue, but any exhibitor can come in with their graphics, their product, you know, we'll do anything we can to help them set their booth up to get their message out so that they can succeed as, as best they can. Okay. So in, in Latin America, it's about a thousand dollars per square meter. Roughly. And when you talk about a 10 by 10 booth, that is in feet, isn't it? Isn't that typically? Well, the, yeah, the 10 by, uh, what I'm saying is a nine square meter booth is the equivalent of a 10 by 10 in the U.S. So, oh, okay. So nine square meter booth. So you're talking yeah. about, say, $10,000 for one of the lessons. So you're talking 10 to $20,000 for the booth plus travel and entertainment. Yes. So you're talking, say, 15000 to thirty or 25000 maybe to go over there for a start. Yes, I, I would say it, it, it could be a little bit less. I mean, depending on, on, you know, coach versus business class, but right. Right. So yes, but, but the booth that is being bought is a turnkey booth. So um, what we tell people is all you need to do is get yourself to the show. If you have products, a product to display, then of course there's that part of it too. But, but right. we literally get that booth ready. So somebody just has to show up on opening day and they're ready to go. And I've been working with clients so long now that that's exactly what they do. They'll fly in the night before, you know, they'll go to bed, they get up the next morning and they're on the booth because they know that it's going to be set and ready for them. They don't need to come in two or three days ahead, get the booth ready. Uh, we take on so much for them to make it as easy and as affordable for them as we can. Okay, and so they could apply for a step grant too and get a lot of that covered. So you're dropping the cost in half to open a new market and along with the turnkey booth, you're doing introductions around yes. and helping to set up meetings. Yes, you're absolutely right. We uh, are, our sales guys are very well versed in step grant funding yes. <laughs> and quite often refer new exhibitors back to their states so that they can uh, research step fund grants and, and see if they're eligible and get that money. Yes, we absolutely do that too. 
Okay. All right. So that, yeah, because if you think about going to a trade show in the United States, it's a big expense and maybe you'll get some business and the dynamics of who goes to that is very different. But when you go to an international trade show, it's, I imagine, more productive because of the value of relationships in other parts of the world compared to the United States, right? Absolutely. Yes, that's absolutely right. Talk, talk to me more about that, why that would be, or why an international trade show would be more valuable than a domestic one. It opens up whole new markets for our clients, and it introduces them to people that they would not normally have the opportunity to see. Whether an exhibitor exhibits domestically or internationally, a certain amount of the success rests with them for sure right. but we have a marketing department in at home and worldwide that will go out to them and ask them for their press release do they have any new products we create a visitor guide that we put on our website and we send a link out to the buying delegations in the regions in advance of the show so that these buying delegations can go on our website they can research the american companies and and set up meetings before the show even starts we do everything we can because it is such a big investment and we do want our exhibitors to succeed. We work with these show organizers to find out where these buying delegations, what countries these buying delegations are coming from. And then we go out to our exhibitors and say, what delegations do you want to meet? We'll bring them right to your booth. We'll deliver them to you so that we can make sure that you're meeting the right people that you want to meet. Interesting. Okay. So that's where U.S. companies don't understand the support that you can get for going international from companies, from government. And that's all, it's all tied into the balance of trade because the U.S. imports so much that they want to help companies export. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, it's so interesting because I've never come at it from this way. I look at it from the online selling. So but before I get into that, um, what, what do you think the biggest fear is? So you said they're not doing it because they don't realize the opportunity, but then when they start thinking about it or engaging with your sales reps, what are they most afraid of or what are their biggest struggles? I, I don't know what their biggest struggles are, quite honestly. Uh, I think that those that have uh, done it have been hugely successful. I just think that, of course, there are some products that can't be exported. So that's one thing. Some people just, uh, you know, Latin America, for example, some of the import taxes and duties are so high that some people feel it's just not a good market for them. And so there are some people that just feel it's an impossibility for them at this time. But I don't know what the rest are afraid of. I don't know why they're not all just jumping at the chance to to at least see what's happening. You know, there's so many ways to uh, see what the return on your investment is. You know, one good contract puts all of your costs uh, covered and, and puts all of your fears to rest. Um, so that's a good question. I, I'm not quite sure I know. Right, right, right. It's something that less than 1% of U.S. companies export. And that just doesn't make sense to me with all the opportunities out there. But, but oftentimes I'll hear that people are afraid of um, dealing with people across different languages. Mm -hmm. How about what products, you said some products won't work. What kind of products or services do you think work really well and what ones struggle more? I don't think it's so much the products and services that work or don't work. I think it's the country's import 
rules and regulations. So we had done some oil and gas shows in Brazil and some of our clients struggled because the import duties and taxes were almost 100%. So if you're selling something and then you have to pay the exact amount, it, it becomes a, a logistic issue for you from a duties and taxes standpoint. So we have had that uh, with some of our shows in Latin America, but every, you know, we have a medical show that we do every year in Dubai um, called Arab Health. And we have some exhibitors that are there that are in ear piercing. It's just a great show for them. Is it medical? Well, there's a needle involved, but uh, it's just, they have learned that to be at some of these shows and to have their equipment, their, their needles, their guns that pierce ears and, and their swabs that clean ears, things like that. Uh, it has just been a really great show. And right next door is somebody who's uh, manual refurbing x-ray machines. Somebody next to that has got other medical equipment or, or laboratory equipment. So there's just a huge wide array of different products and services that people come to these shows with and come back year after year because they're finding a market for it in that region of the world. So the ear piercing you were talking about, they manufacture the guns and the needles and the yeah. swabs and everything yeah. to do it? Okay, so they're a manufacturer, not, a, not somebody who pierces ears. Correct. Okay, they okay. They do on-site demos, so, you know, right. all the girls at Coleman Worldwide get something pierced, but, but <laughs> yeah, definitely there to, to sell their ear piercing uh, equipment, I'll call it. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really interesting to know that uh, the kinds of industries that you're you're running into. So how about you? What was your first exposure to another language or culture? My very first show, uh, when I traveled in 2001, my, the very first show I went to was the Paris Air Show, which is a great show to go to because there's nothing wrong with Paris in June. <laughs> um, I, I, at the time, did not have any issue in Paris with language or translation, but I have definitely found myself in some areas of the world where it has been extremely challenging. Now with iPhones, it's a little bit easier, but... Um, a colleague and I several years ago went to an air show in Japan, in Nagoya, Japan, which is a big city, but not as international as Tokyo, I would say. Mm -hmm. And we decided one night that we were going to go out to eat uh, without our Japanese colleague who was there helping us. He had another meeting. So this, these two Americans, myself and my colleague, were left to our own devices and we walked and just looked for restaurant after restaurant. And finally, my colleague, who loves food and knows everything about it, said, let's just go to this place. It seems fine. I said, okay, let's just go to this place. Went in, took our shoes off, sat down, and asked for an English menu and no English menu. And does anybody speak English? No. And they handed us a menu in Japanese. <laughs> what do you do with that? Um, what did you do? I looked at my colleague and I'm like, what's, what's the plan? What's your plan? You pick this place, you have the plan. And he said, this is what we're going to do. And we're looking around at what everybody else is eating. And, and the plates were small. It almost looked like tapas uh, size servings. And he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick 11 things because there's two of us and we're bound to hit on something we like. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, how do you even pick 11 things? There's, there's not an English word. There's not a picture. There's not a word. Nothing is recognizable. 
So the woman and I, so he said, pick something. And I said, well, this looks pretty, these letters. I don't know, pick that, you know? <laughs> so we picked, so he pointed to something and she looked at the two of us and then looked back down and wrote it. And I looked at my colleague and I'm like, what are we getting our sons into? And he just kept pointing and pointing and pointing. And 11 points later, off she went. And the first plate came and it was what I would call cubed cream cheese. That's it. Not a cracker, not anything to eat with it. Just it looked like somebody took Philadelphia cream cheese and cubed it and put it on a plate. Then the second. And did it taste like cream cheese? (laughs) (laughs) I only had one. There were maybe, you know, eight little cubes. I only had one. I really didn't know what to do with it without a bagel on New Jersey. Uh, the second was uh, grilled fat, a skewer of grilled fat, which I started to get nervous after that because I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm two down, I'm nine left. Uh, <laughs> but the third thing was just a regular green salad, which was delicious. And then after that, we got some chicken on a skewer, which was delicious. So of the 11 things, there are probably eight of them. Uh, but you know, you have to go with just a sense of humor and you have to go with a sense of adventure. And with a sense of, let's just see where this leads. Let's just see what this is all about. And, and if you can't do that, you're definitely in the wrong business. Definitely. Right. So you've got a business owner who owns a manufacturing company that could go international, but they're a meat and potatoes type of person and they haven't had much exposure to international. Do you find people can open up and change enough to be successful in the international work? Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. You know, we have been doing it for so long that a lot of times we'll find ourselves on site and our clients are like, well, what do I do? Where should I eat? And we just go into it. Like, this is where you should eat. Ask for this person. You have to try this. This is where you should shop. Do you want to bring something home for your wife? This is what she wants. I mean, I don't even know your wife, but I know, you know, this is what, so we're constantly giving advice on where to go, what to eat, where to stay, how to fly. What's the best way to do this? I mean, we're, we're road warriors. I've been traveling for 20 years. I do, um, you know, I've been 1K with United for five or six years now. So, and I go to the same places. I've probably been to Dubai two dozen times. So if someone calls me and says, hey, where can I eat? Or I want to have a party or I want to have a business dinner. We know all that because we've experienced that all ourselves. Okay. So if somebody's nervous about it or isn't as adventurous, they, you can take them under their wing, your wing and help guide them. So there's some safety along there. So what are the countries you have been to or go to or have been to? And then which ones do you go to regularly? I go to Dubai regularly, uh, or the UAE, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I've been there probably more times than I've been any place else. Uh, Europe always, uh, Paris, you know, we do the Paris air show. So I've been going there for 20 years. Uh, we do the Farnborough air show in England, Singapore, uh, Korea, everywhere. I, I get a Starbucks mug from every country I go to. I probably <laughs> about 50 of them downstairs. Good for you. <laughs> What's your favorite place to visit or do business? I love Dubai. I really do. It's such a beautiful, beautiful city. And when I first went there 15 years ago, it has changed so much in the time that I've gone. Um, One of the reasons I love it is because this medical show that we organize there is in January. Obviously, it was not, it did not take place. It will not take place this year for, for the reasons of the virus. But 
every January for 15 years or so, I've left freezing cold New Jersey, uh, flown over to Dubai, and you know, within 24 hours, I'm sitting under a palm tree with white twinkling lights and just eating a delicious meal and smoking shisha and catching up with my friends. And it's just such a great, great feeling. I love it. I miss it. I really do. This year, I will miss it. All right, pause. You said something I hadn't heard about. You know exactly what it is. Shisha? Smoking shisha. <laughs> yes, I have a colleague of mine, and she and I have smoked shisha in every city in the world. We found a place once in Geneva. We found a place in Paris. We found places in Germany. I have two that I've hand carried home from Dubai with all of the equipment. I love it. It's it's relaxing and it's so social and it's just great. Uh, I do. I love it. I don't smoke cigarettes, um, but I do smoke shisha. What, what is shisha? So it's a big um, water tank. Uh, it's a big, beautiful um, piece of apparatus you fill with water and it has a big tube that comes off and you heat coals. And so you put, typically it's a fruit flavored tobacco, whether it's apple, sometimes mint, mango, all different flavors there are. And you take this fruit flavored tobacco, you put it in the shisha and then you put hot coals over it. And you smoke the fruit flavored tobacco through this pipe. Uh, but everybody either has a, a mouthpiece that they can put in the pipe so you share it. You share it with a group of people. So you'll get one, you know, if four of us go out, we'll get maybe just one or two shishas and we'll all share with our own mouthpiece. So it's just, it's a, it's just a social way to sit and relax and just enjoy this really interesting flavor and people. So if you go to a shisha bar, do you sit and have a glass of wine and then smoke shisha? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to have wine. You have to have shisha. Um, you know, we go to a place in Paris um, that is shisha only, so we'll have sparkling water and smoke shisha. Uh, like I said, we've done it in uh, Geneva. Um, I, I've done it. I do it on my deck. We've done it everywhere. It's it's just very relaxing and mellow and enjoyable. And a lot of the people that I smoke shisha with are not smokers. It's not. Uh, you know, my brother loves it. He smokes shisha with me all the time. Uh, neither of us smoke cigarettes. So it's not like that. It's it's just a, a relaxing, enjoyable, fruit-flavored experience. All right. I learned something new today. That's awesome. <laughs> what other experiences internationally have you had that would be very different from the United States? So many. Uh, so many good and so many bad. Uh, uh, but I once did a show in Moscow and I had flown from the Paris air show to Moscow. So I'd already been on the road for quite a bit, but just to make it work, I wouldn't necessarily fly from New Jersey to Moscow and then back to New Jersey. Uh, so I flew from New Jersey to Paris and then I was going on to Moscow, but I got to Moscow a day early and I was alone. Um, and my stand builder at the time was a local Russian woman. And, and I said to her, you know, I'm going to be there a day early. I have a little bit of time. I would love to see Red Square or the Kremlin. I can't even believe I'm talking about this. It's so exciting. Um, and she said, well, you know, I have friends in Moscow. I'll make sure that you're taken care of. And I said, okay, I would appreciate that because, you know, I'm 60. But when I was seven, you know, I used to hide under my desk, you know, during drills because, you know, they were scary. It was scary, you know, right. I am by yeah. myself. 
the Cold and War. So I got to the airport and there was somebody there holding my name, which I was so happy about. And, and he took me to my hotel and through our Google Translate app, he said to me, be downstairs at 5.45 a.m. And it was about one o'clock in the morning. So it was a very short time. And I'm like, okay, 5.45, I was back downstairs. And he took me to the train station and he got parked the car and he got out. And here's this train and all these women in official uh, gray uniforms with red caps and a sash were standing at every door to the train. And he walks me up to one of the women and he's speaking in Russian and he walks me into the car and he puts me in a seat and he shows me on my this is my seat uh, in the first class cabin. And I'm like, okay. And, and they came and they served me breakfast. It was really an incredible thing. Uh, but long story short, this woman had set it up. So she bought me a ticket on the high speed train from Moscow to St. Petersburg. I was met by her colleague in St. Petersburg that took me on a tour of the whole city, which is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's almost like Amsterdam. It's all canals and boat rides. Uh, we spent the afternoon after we did a tour of the city and I went to Starbucks to get my mug. <laughs> we uh, sat in a restaurant and we just drank vodka all night, all night long. And they taught me how. Uh, and I love vodka anyway, so they taught me how to drink it, and we had several bottles of vodka. And it was June 22nd. It was the longest day of the year, so it was light the entire night. And then at midnight, they brought me back to the train station. Same thing. They walked me in, but I had my own private sleeper car, and it was an eight-hour trip back to Moscow. Mm -hmm. uh, I had my own private sleeper car in this old, red, beautiful train which i couldn't even sleep i was so excited um we got back to moscow at 8 a.m my driver met me took me right to work oh oh that is like a dream st petersburg is at the top of my travel list i've been trying to figure out how to get there <laughs> remarkably beautiful I loved it it was truly one of the highlight trips of my career and it was 24 hours and it was just absolutely spectacular I loved it oh that is awesome all right I'm that is that is right up there I mean I have a whole long list of them but uh I read a book about Peter the Great and all uh, St. Petersburg and how it was developed. And that was a while ago. And I've, I've had that on my list. So you've motivated me as soon as we travel again. So you talked about communicating through the, the, the Google app on your phone and that's opened up. Talk to me more about how you're communicating with people and how your, um, your clients are communicating and doing sales when they're going internationally? Well, it's not hard in some places of the world and it's very hard in others. So I will say that obviously Dubai, there's no issue. Europe, there's no issue. The places where I think that there's still an issue for us is some areas in Latin America. We did shows, as I mentioned, in Brazil and we struggled in Brazil to not only have people that we work with that can understand the language, but some of the local workers as well. You know, we have the construction crew will come in and build our pavilion. And without an English speaking project manager, it's very difficult for us to be able to communicate with them. But we do have partners. We have, uh, like I said, the Department of Commerce will have people that can either help us or can offer us um, 
referrals to translation companies. Uh, for our clients, it's a little bit different because if they have materials, marketing materials or promotional materials, if they only have it in English, they're really cutting off a big part of their market because then they're not able to get that material in the right language to the right people. Mm -hmm. We uh, create a guide uh, of all of the exhibitors in the U.S. Pavilion and in some areas of the world, we will print that in two languages. Um, most of the time we don't, but sometimes when we feel we need to, we will. But I will say that if we really find ourselves in a part of the world where translation and language is a problem, then yes, we will either find a translation company or a translator that will either help us or help our clients in advance of the show as well as on site to be able to take the meetings that they need and be able to be successful with that. Okay, so you use Google Translate to communicate with your taxi driver or tour guide. You have lots of resources. When would you draw the line of using Google Translate and finding a professional translator? I myself would only use Google Translate, like you said, to get into a taxi or to, I mean, I've used it to uh, just have uh, basic conversations with people. But for any exhibitor that is there wanting to sell a product or a service or take meetings with people or have their marketing materials ready, I would absolutely recommend a professional translator to them. Right, right. Okay, that's good to hear because there for a while people are like, oh, I just need to get it translated and they didn't know the differences in quality. So it sounds like that's separated out now mm -hmm. when you're actually doing the international work. What are some of the mistakes you see people making? I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people making is thinking that their, their success is totally our responsibility. And, and I can tr tell you that a lot of times in our pavilions and in other shows, I will be walking down the Nile of a trade show and I'll see somebody sitting in the back of a booth on their laptop, head down, and I just want to go up to them and say, close that laptop, stand here on the aisle, shoulders back, engage. You are there to engage with people. Stop doing that like you're doing the absolute worst thing you could do. You don't have to wear a suit and tie. You don't have to come in every day like that, but you have to engage. And by not doing that, I think that's the biggest mistake people can make. I do it all the time. I talk to everybody and I'm at these trade shows. I'm not there to sell my product or service, but and you never know where a conversation with somebody is going to take you you never ever know so why not put yourself out there and and have these conversations that's why you're there and so many people don't realize that they are sitting on their booth working or trying to get that email done or trying to get something done before the office wakes up and I'm like you're you're not at the office you're here make the most of being here get up get on that aisle and engage for people like you and me who are probably off-the-scale extroverts, it's easy to put ourselves out there and engage. What recommendations would you have for people who are more introverted, don't have the skills of engaging, and they're in a different culture? Well, it's business. You have to engage. Whether you're sitting at your office and writing an email or picking up the telephone, that's engaging too. It's a little bit safer because it's not face-to-face. But most of these people at these trade shows are salespeople, and, and there is a little bit of extrovert needed in that. I would mm -hmm. say that everyone who is in the aisle of a trade show is there for a reason. They're there to shop. Uh, they're there to find new contacts. 
They're there to find new products or new services. They're there to maybe become a distributor or to rep somebody's products. Everybody that is there is there for a reason. So it's really a great environment to say, I need to just do that. It's the difference between an introvert and an extrovert is the difference between sitting at your table, heads down in your laptop and standing 10 feet ahead on the aisle and just smiling at somebody. It's a really easy thing to do. It really is. And, and if you're a salesperson and you can't do that, yeah, maybe she's a salesperson. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. And that's, you've made a good point, is that it, most of the people there are salespeople or business owner or something engaged in that. And then I just wrote a blog that I was talking about. The smile is, the, is universally recognized as a friendly gesture. Yes. So all you have to do is get yourself to stand up in the front of the booth and smile. Yeah. Right. Totally agree. Uh, probably eye contact helps too. <laughs> it might look a little weird. If it <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. So, you know, you and I met through um, Zach Selch, who yes. is the consummate salesperson. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. And you met him at one of the uh, at trade shows, the one in Dubai, right? Yeah, he was a client of mine for many, many years at Arab Health in Dubai. And I work um part of my role at coleman worldwide is i'm a stand builder so uh, an exhibitor will come and they will buy space space only no build no turnkey build and then i call them up and say hey do you know any stand builders in dubai because i'm a stand builder in dubai let me build your booth for you and we've been able to build an uh, a great business on offering these services to our clients so zach was a client in the U.S. Pavilion, and he was also a client of mine because I worked as the stand builder for him and his company. Uh, I was at another show called Medica in Dusseldorf, Germany, and I ran into Zach, and I hadn't seen him for years and years, and I, I liked him a lot, so it was great to see him. And he said, uh, you know, I was walking the show, and I saw these two beautiful booths, and I'm like, really, what were they? And he named them, and I'm like, that's interesting because those are mine. I built those booths. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder with Zach if he's, you know, and I'm like, did you really? And he was like, no, really. And he was like, let me interview you for my blog. And I said, okay, let's do that. And we did the interview the next day, and I believe that went to this. So it's like I said, you never know where something's going to take you. So right. why not? You know, why not? And the the global business community is is small. I mean, I've been surprised at how different things overlap, which a couple of things you might be interested in is um, we do a, or I host it as a global speed networking event mm -hmm. on the last Friday of every month. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's listening, you can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn and let me know if you'd like an invitation to it or to be on the mailing list to, to announce to updating. But that's fun because it's on a platform where every six minutes you're matched with somebody else who does global business. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then have you ever heard of um, Soft Land Partners? No, I'm not. No, another organization that has meetups um, in 14 different cities around the world. Mm -hmm. That um, and now that everything is virtual, you can mm -hmm. go to any meetup that you want. But there's all sorts of different specialists and providers and expertise on there, so it's a good network. Okay, um, great. Yeah, I'll send you information on that, and then anybody who's listening can reach out on LinkedIn and ask about it. And then how about the Global Chamber? Have you ever been involved with them? No, I'm not. No, okay. It's new to me. I just heard about it. So, um, 
I, I think it's been around for quite a while and it helps connect people internationally too. They talk about doing some of the matchmaking. So I'll send you information on that. Yeah. Yeah. What other, um, what other organizations or resources do you know that would be good for people doing global business? Well, I, our world is Coleman Worldwide Selling Space and then, you know, in, in coordination with the show organizers in the region and the Department of Commerce. Those are our, our main stakeholders, I would say. The, the uh, local AmCHAMs certainly are uh, helpful to us sometimes, uh, the American Chambers of Commerce in different countries. But, but I would say that uh, the show organizer and, and the Department of Commerce are great partners to us at these shows. Okay. Okay. And so, and then your salespeople are mostly networking at the, the domestic show, so very focused in industry. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So tell me more, um, more stories or recommendations of people going internationally, maybe like a success story. Yeah. Uh, I, one of my sales colleagues was walking a domestic show in Orlando, Florida, and uh, stumbled upon a booth and was talking with a gentleman exactly about, you know, what are your products? What, where do you export? Do you export? And, and having that conversation with them. And, and this uh, exhibitor at this domestic show had a new and experimental aircraft. And he was, this was his first show, and he was trying to get some buzz about this new experimental aircraft and if you want to do anything new and far-reaching and really cool then to us that just screams dubai so we said to him you know what let's get you some space at the dubai air show it's it's where a lot of cool things are happening you know the architecture in dubai is just incredible and a lot of cool and interesting things are happening in dubai and we think that that might be a good fit for you and after, uh, you know, a couple of phone calls, he agreed that he thought that that would be a really good opportunity for him. So we sell him some space at the Dubai Air Show. And we sell indoor space, which is your typical booth. But at the air shows, we sell static space, which is where you can bring and park your airplane. <laughs> so he bought indoor space and he bought static space because he was going to bring his experimental aircraft over and put it on display in Dubai. I would say several weeks later, he called me and he said, I ran into a roadblock. I can't get the airplane over there. there. It's too new. It's too experimental. Now I have all the space and I don't have an aircraft. What am I going to do? So I said, okay, let's think of something. Let's put a plan in place. And, and after talking with him about it, he said, well, you know, uh, this plane, if somebody buys this plane, we deliver it to them in a big box and they can just put it together and off they go. So I said, okay, okay. So we talked back and forth. So what we wound up doing is I got on the phone. I started working my contacts. I was able to rent a, a shipping container in Dubai for eight days. And I said to him, get me a, the most high-res photo of your aircraft that you can. And we turned that into an X-ray image. We put the X-ray image on the outside of the shipping container with a, a message that's something like come and see what's inside or you know something about that to create some interest and some buzz about it and he loved the idea we had no idea if it was going to work or not but we had to do something he already bought the space right uh, and so here comes in the shipping container we got you know brand new white beautiful shipping container we got the graphic we got it on all four sides and hit 
was a huge hit. Everybody wanted to know about it. Everybody wanted to know about this airplane that was in the box. And so we had a great show. But interestingly, at the Dubai Air Show, we also had a forum. So we do these presentation areas and we bring in people who give speeches. And we had a presentation given by the head of the FAA. And this man, this exhibitor client of ours, came and listened to the presentation, then afterwards went up to the head of the FAA and had a conversation with him about his experimental aircraft. And that, to us, is a success story. We found somebody in Florida who'd never exported to Dubai. We brought him to Dubai. We ran into issues with the plane. We were able to overcome those with the shipping cargo container and the graphic. And then he gets a one-on-one -on -one with the head of the FAA. That's gold. That's what we do. So in Dubai, putting a fake airplane in a box, he connects with the FAA in the United States? The, the head of the FAA was at the Dubai Air Show in our forum giving a speech. <laughs> so if he had tried to get in, in touch with the head of the FAA in the United States, he never would have done it. But over in Dubai, he has That's success. Yes, we were able to make that connection with him or him. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. What about service companies? Like for example, you know, I own a translation company. Do you have companies like that that go over and have booths at the pavilion that have successes or is it more manufacturers? No, we at the show Arab Health that we do every January in Dubai, we have a section of the show that's hospitals. Now, hospitals don't have products for sure, but they have doctors that go over there and they have, uh, they meet with doctors locally, they share experiences and expertise. Um, so it's not just products. There are, are definitely uh, companies that have either services. Sometimes there are companies that would finance aircraft capital at some of the aerospace shows. So it's not just somebody that manufactures something. It's definitely companies that have services or other things to offer that are quite often in the U.S. pavilion, yes. Okay, so people who finance or at the medical, so why would the medical show, why would hospitals go over well, there? They want to have a presence. Arab Health is the biggest medical show in the world, so the hospitals, first of all, want to have a presence there. Uh, but they do bring their doctors there. Now, their doctors aren't sitting on the stand or working the stand. The doctors are either in meetings or they're giving presentations or um, demonstrations of, of how to do some certain things. Uh, but it's, it's about being seen. Sometimes it's about being seen and letting the world know that you're there because if you're not, then where are you? Um, and then it's about their doctors coming there and, and having these uh, meetings not that are taking place on the booth, but that are taking place with the general medical community in that region of the world at that time. That's where every January in Dubai, that's where the medical world gathers. They gather in Dubai in January. And so to not be there is to be missing out. So I know um, Boston Children's Hospital and Mass Eye and Ear, they get a lot of international, you know, they call it medical tourism because they get people coming from all over the world to get treatment here because it is known for being the best at treating certain things. So is it that kind of visibility that they're trying to get or is this really an opportunity that we're going to go over and meet other hospital administrators or doctors, medical providers 
and share this information so we continue to all provide better information. Yeah, I think it's both. You know, one of the, the programs that we offer at Arab Health, the, the show starts on a Monday and the day before Sunday, we go out to all of our exhibitors and say, we're going to do a hospital tour and we're going to take you to two hospitals in Dubai. Uh, one is the American hospital. And last year, I believe we did a pediatric hospital and we bring these exhibitors to the hospitals in Dubai and we see how they're operated and we see how they run and they are met by doctors that give them talks about how they do things. So it, it's, it's about everything. It's about networking. It's okay. about uh, being a presence. It's about being seen. It's about your doctors having meetings. It's about doing everything you can in that eight days when, when your industry is all assembled in one city in the world. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Now I have a better understanding. It kind of reminds me when my mom, um, did a Fulbright scholarship over in China. She's the lead, she's retired now, but she was the nation's expert on boot camp prisons. And she went over to study prisons in China because uh -huh. there's a lot of things that you can share across. Mm -hmm. So that it sounds like the same thing. So there is a, a big need for services. All right. So let's switch over a little bit more and talk about you personally. First off, what's your favorite foreign word? Wow. Interesting. Um, you know, my very first show in 2001 was the Paris Air Show. This is probably going to sound silly, but, uh, and I was introduced to someone and extended my hand and said, nice to meet you. And he said, enchanté. I was just enchanted. <laughs> it couldn't have been where I was like, oh, I love it. You know, it's it's one of my favorite words because you can't overuse it. I would never say that in Dubai. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, I can really only say it when I'm in France or talking to someone. For, and I use it all the time. I'm like, oh, enchanté. Uh, I just love it. Uh, I just thought it was so cool and just... I, I love that. I love that word too. And nobody's ever said that, but it put it just enchanté. You can hear it's so it. Small, doesn't it? <laughs> do you speak any other languages? I do not. I took French in high school. That was a long time ago. Uh, I do not speak any foreign languages now. Okay, the way you said enchanté, I thought maybe you spoke French, but you did have some good training. Now, besides St. Petersburg, because that already sounds fantastic, what's been your favorite vacation? Wow, my favorite vacation. I've been so lucky to have so many. Um, a few years ago, a colleague and I went to the Singapore Air Show. Uh, we do that every two years. And I had said to her, you know, we're so close to Bali or um, like, let's go someplace. Let's, the show ends on a Thursday, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And, and through a lot of research and uh, looking around, we decided to spend the, a long weekend in Vietnam. Oh, interesting. And, so we flew to Vietnam, and it's funny because we are both uh, avid shoppers, much to our husband's dismay. <laughs> and um, before I left, jokingly, my husband said, "Can you? Do you think you can budget three hundred dollars for Vietnam?" <laughs> Which I'm laughing because I'm like, "No, I absolutely can't. I don't want us to budget anything." Um, and I went to the, to the currency window and I started with $300 and I got like 6 million Vietnamese dong. And I was, I looked at my friend, I'm like, I can't do this math. I can't do this math. <laughs> um, but my 
said, we, we flew into to, uh, Da Nang, Vietnam, and as we're flying out of the airport, we saw the old uh, army base, the military base, and it was surreal. It was surreal to me. I have a brother-in-law who has uh, since passed who uh, fought in Vietnam, and, and my husband's brother was there. And to see the old buildings, and uh, I mean, clearly I was alive for it. I was a child, but I certainly have memories of uh, my sister, my oldest sister, had a big party in our basement once because one of our friends was heading over to Vietnam. And for me to be there on vacation, um, it was interesting. It was just a really interesting thing to be passing all of the, you know, we passed the U.S. Uh, Army Museum, which had helicopters and tanks outside. And, and it, it, we just got, to, I just got to chill up my spine, like, wow, what really happened here so many years ago? Uh, and here we are on vacation enjoying it. It, it was interesting it, it was beautiful and and we had a good time uh but it came very interesting as well we um had a ride back to the airport from the hotel had a car and the driver turned to us and said you know we have plenty of time do you want to stop at china beach and see what's happening there and we we're like oh my god yeah uh and my colleague said to him how do you feel about america do you like them? And he said, no, we don't, but we like you Australians. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay Australian. <laughs> so we spent probably an hour or so at China Beach, and it was mm. just, it was as surreal to me being there as it was for me to be in St. Petersburg. Right, right. Yeah, one of the earlier episodes is um, with Nick. He's living in Vietnam right now. Um, and it was fascinating to hear him talk about the the culture and being there, but not he's he's a millennial so he didn't mm -hmm. have the yeah. the memory of Vietnam. Right. So it sounds like it was a much different experience. Yeah. 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 Um, and how about your most rewarding cross cultural experience? in work or play you've got <laughs> a lot of your it sounds like you combine work and, and play nicely so yeah so rewarding cross-cultural experience well that's interesting i i, I don't know about rewarding I, I, it's you know when we're on site it's intense you know there are times when we will fly to australia 30 hours door to door land at eight o'clock you know drop our bags and go to work Oh, work boy. get up work you know and if we don't make time to see things we don't often see things uh, in, in our and everybody will say that even in a domestic show you know you may get the opportunity to go to orlando but you're never going to see disney it just doesn't work that way unless you plan for it and so we organize um we have lounges at all of our shows that uh, we have to staff. So I really had the opportunity to bring my children to some of my shows to be able to work with us and not only to get to see what mom does, uh, but to experience these different cultures, particularly when you're in a place like Dubai where women are do look different and, and you will see some women in in local emirati garb that are walking three feet behind their husbands and you know my daughters that are, are brought up in this kind of uh at the time this kardashian mindset of entitlement see that that's their story that's not every girl's story right. and i can sit here and i can preach to them as much as i want but until they see it themselves and are submerged in a, in a culture that's different from theirs I don't think they'd ever understand that. So for me to be able to 
you know, my father that passed that on to us and, and my daughters are not in the industry and they have different careers uh, and, and won't be in the industry. Uh, that was very rewarding for me to be able to show them a different side of the world, different side of their mom and a different side of the world. And I think that that was really great for them. It's so important. I love it when parents take their kids internationally because you just get so much. I've ever since my kids were young, once a year I'd take them on one big international trip, and they just they have such a different understanding of the world and the exposure yeah. and how they can land in new situations. They're you know they've both expressed surprise to me at how people are jaded against other yeah. cultures when they haven't had those experiences. Yeah. And it's like you say, even something as simple as a smile, you know, even for them, I, what I try to tell them is that, you know, we were in um, Times Square a few years ago and someone came up to my door and said, can you take a picture, you know, of us with the lights and all. And, you know, my daughter was taking pictures and she kind of, you know, after it was done, chuckled at me and was like, oh, tourists. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, when you go to Dubai, you're going to want somebody to take a picture of you, too, in front of the country. So you need to have a little bit more empathy for people than just roll your eyes and say, tourist. The other thing that you might not know is some people will save their entire lives for a trip like that. Right. And you're handed a ticket and said, come on, we're going to go here. And you cannot approach it in that way. And I think that that's a lesson, too, about, you know, what you are one day, somebody else is the next. And you have that experience to be able to help them feel more comfortable. And, and even you, as a girl from New Jersey in Dubai, who's working for our company, you can help somebody feel more comfortable by what you know and the knowledge that you have. So don't think that this is all one-sided, because it sure is not. Right, right. I think those are excellent words. Do you have any other, we're coming to the end, any final recommendations for anybody that wants to consider doing international work? I think everybody should. I think that there are great uh, revenue streams out there for people that are untapped. I, I think that if you do your homework, if you research Coleman Worldwide, we have our website, Coleman.com. You'll see who we are. You'll see what we do. You'll see the programs that we offer, the partners and decision makers and stakeholders that we have. I think that if you do your homework and do your research, you'll see that that it's a, it's a, an opportunity that shouldn't be ignored. And uh you could try it once and, or, or you know, we have uh, testimonials on our website. We'd be happy to put you in touch with somebody that might be able to offer advice and expertise on how they started it and, and succeeded. Uh, but I think that everyone should, should research the areas of the world and, and see what works for them and dip their toe in. And you'll never know where it's going to bring you unless you try. That's fantastic. And I just, I just have this overwhelming feeling that if, if I needed a contact to somebody anywhere in the world, it, I could go to you. <laughs> yes. you probably could because I will tell you one of the craziest experiences I have is I will be walking down a road somewhere like my experience in Kuala Lumpur. I'll be walking down the street in India and somebody will be calling my name and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not me. And what, and sure enough, I turn around and there's somebody I know. And it's just crazy. It, to this day, it never ceases to amaze me. But I mean, I've been doing it for a while and, and I know a lot of people. So yeah, give me a call. <laughs> ah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if you do want to check out Anne's website, it's Coleman.com, K-A-L-L-M-A-N.com. And where else can people reach you? Uh, on LinkedIn, 
What's your LinkedIn handle? Mm-hmm. Ann Coleman. Okay. So just look for you, Ann, A-N-N, Coleman, K-A-L-L-M-A-N. Yeah. I'm sure by email. I'm happy to have people email me at A-N-K, A-N-N-K, at Coleman.com or LinkedIn or any way they choose. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that because you've got so much information and so many connections. I'd encourage anybody to reach out. Um, and I and I have a feeling you have a hundred more interesting stories too. <laughs> so thank you for being on today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, listeners. I hope you uh, learned something today. I was certainly entertained by many of the stories and learned something. Um, if you like this podcast, forward it on to somebody. You can. Um, Tell them they can find it at any of their favorite places. Um, and give us a rating or leave a comment. We're always looking for, for feedback of what we're doing and new guests. If you've got a suggestion of somebody that might be interesting to have on, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. Um, as always, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Wendy P's Translation Expert. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.